I know you'll be able to relate. I come from a far as career, educational world. So there's those things that can be discouraging, whether it's the apathy of the students, unreasonable demands, not enough time to fulfill the tasks that are given, and so forth and so on, and you have your things, right? And so there's this phrase that really helps me, and that's uh, the phrase that the grass is not, I tell myself, it's not greener on the other side of the fence. It's, it's green where I water it. And that helps me to control what I can control, helps me have the right attitude in order to make that pasture where I reside the best possible pasture that it can be. And that not only helps myself, but that's to the benefit of those around me. And so that's why I titled this, uh, this lesson, Watering My Grass, but this is something that we'll carry forward as we work together with Mike and the lesson that he's giving to equip ourselves and sharing the gospel to being good news and ultimately helping make disciples. But you gotta think, we being Christians, we have all that we need to be satisfied and to be fulfilled. So if I'm not, it's of course my own error. Either I've missed the mark with my perspective, I've allowed myself to pursue my own selfish desires or something along those lines I have everything I need to be satisfied and fulfilled. So even in thinking about the work of making disciples and, and sharing the gospel, this is not something to be fearful of, but something that as we understand it correctly, it's something to look forward to, to be excited about. And I think oftentimes we have a misunderstanding about this work. So hopefully through our time together this morning and then looking forward, you'll see that this is... Uh, something to be excited about, something that when we put it into our lives, everything about the way that we work and live, it changes. You know, those people that are not externally concerned with the loss, you'll see them arguing over the internal things which do not matter, like the color of the carpet and so forth. And you know that their mind and heart is not on those spiritual things, not on the things above. And so a lot of it does come back to perspective. And like I said, in the classroom or wherever you are each and every day, the perspective of the pasture is so important. So we begin there. The grass is green where we water it. So we have to appreciate the pasture that we're in, count our blessings, and water the grass daily. So from there, I want to take you to a speech that Gandhi gave. And the reason I want to take you here is because he quoted Jesus. The particular situation here is August 8, 1942, and India is oppressed by England as a part of the British Empire. And so in this speech, he comes upon them with a mantra towards the end of the speech. And then ultimately, he concludes with words of Jesus. So I want to put the mantra upon our ears, come to Jesus' words, and go there so we can kind of start to begin to ask ourselves, what does it mean to water the grass? You know, specifically. So Gandhi says this at this part in the speech, which builds into the end. This is not, this is brief. He says, here is a mantra, a short one that I give you. You may imprint it on your hearts and let every breath of yours give expression to it. The mantra is, do or die. We shall either free India or die in the attempt. We shall not live to see the perpetuation of our slavery. Every true congressman or woman will join the struggle with an inflexible determination not to remain alive to see the country in bondage and slavery. Let that be your pledge. Let every man and woman live in every moment of his or her life hereafter in the consciousness that he or she 
eats or lives for achieving freedom and will die if need be to attain that goal. Take a pledge with God and your own conscience as witness that you will no longer rest till freedom is achieved and will be prepared to lay down your lives in the attempt to achieve it. He who loses his life will gain it. He who will seek to save it shall lose it. Freedom is not for the coward or the faint-hearted. So he went to Luke chapter 9 and he quoted verse 24. And the prior verse says, If anyone would come after me, Jesus speaking, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The emphasis upon daily. Understanding what it means to water the grass daily and the seriousness of discipleship. Now in Luke chapter 10, and you can go ahead and turn your Bible. We'll look at a few things in the, in the book of Luke. So in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out the disciples two by two, remember that he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then he gave them destructions or instructions that would require them to trust and depend on God. To trust, depend on the work that the Holy Spirit that would do through them. They weren't going to have a lot of money in their pockets or clothing or other material things that they could put their trust and feel secure with. Jesus put them in a situation where they were going to have to depend on God. To trust Him. And they went out equipped. Pray earnestly, right? That the Lord will send out laborers into the harvest. Now if you'll continue looking into chapter 14 with me. This is where Jesus now is telling these parables. And these hit hard. These are difficult teachings, difficult things to absorb as a disciple of Jesus. We even see in John chapter 6 with some of his difficult teachings that some left. They couldn't receive it. They couldn't live it. Well, here we have a couple of those difficult parables in that regard. And of course, I'm coming to a point. But see the parable of the wedding feast and then the parable of the great banquet. Let's put our eyes on verse 15 of chapter 14. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, Jesus said, I, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first who had said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. But then he continues in talking about the cost of discipleship. It says the great crowds that accompanied him and turned and said to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Like I said, these are difficult teachings 
to observe. And then you go down verse 33 at the bottom. Therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These difficult teachings remind us that God's kingdom has to be first. God must be first for the disciple. And so it's crazy when we think about how backwards at times that we can get. We'll be willing to spend so much time and effort chasing after the money or the material possessions. But what does God teach us? That if we'll seek God's kingdom first, then he'll provide those things. All the things that we need. If we will just put his kingdom first and put everything into seeking it, we'll have what, I need, what we need. So we should stop being anxious about having enough money and enough material possessions. But that's exactly what we have the tendency to do. We let our anxiety and our feelings and our emotions drive us towards those things. We get tunnel vision and we work so hard to acquire it. But that's not what the Lord teaches us in his good wisdom. We must seek first the kingdom of God and he will provide those things. And so I believe when we talk about sharing the gospel and making disciples, it's not a matter of time. It's never a matter of time. Satan knows that if he can distract us and fill our hearts and our minds with the wrong emotions, then we'll be of no use to God and his kingdom. We'll busy ourselves with these other types of things or we'll be right where the harvest is, but we won't see it and think about it. Our mind and our heart is just simply not there. We're focused on other things. So to me, it's a matter of distraction. It's me living my life and opportunity and the harvest being all around me, but me not being intentional with the way that I live my life, me not being aware. And so to myself, it's wake up, rise up, be aware, see what's around you and be intentional. Seek God's first, kingdom first with intentionality. And so when I think about what Jesus said in the parable of the talents, it reminds me, and that's where all of this kind of comes together, the seriousness of which this is. The life that God has given me, that he has saved me by the blood of Christ, and now I have a responsibility. I've counted the cost. I want to be his disciple, and do or die, I will die for him. To live is Christ and to die is gain, I accept that. And if you can accept it too, then you've got to accept the seriousness with which we make the decisions we make in our daily lives. We have to learn how to water the grass daily. Because we know in the parable of the talents that each was given according to their ability. It was fair. It was just. They were given according to their ability. The master goes away. And we see in the parable that at some point, the master returns. At some point, the master will return. And those who dealt wisely with their talents in regard to the master, he treated well. But the one who did not deal wisely with his talents, he was treated harshly by the master. And he even went on to say, quote, cast the worthless servant. Think about the adjective worthless. There's no use to the master. Didn't bear any fruit, no produce. Did nothing of use to the master, the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So for me, I'm reminded that I am a servant. Life is not about my convenience, my pleasure, or any desires that might find their, their way into my mind and my heart. And I have to remind myself that. It's about my master. 
And a true servant will yield themselves unto doing all that they can to serve and please their master. We have to see that. And when we do, we see that the pasture that we are in is a good pasture. And the grass can be green. And I have all that I need. But my mind, I've got to be awake. I've got to see that and realize that on a daily basis. And be able to water that grass right in that pasture where I am right now. Now, that doesn't mean that God may not move me at a time to another. But that's not my concern. I control what I control today. And tomorrow may not come. So, yes, I'll work to provide and do those things as if tomorrow will come. I'm no fool. I would do so generation into generation if it's so fitting. But I'm not going to let myself get beyond today and the responsibilities that I would have today. So we got to put aside the excuses. And these are things that we'll touch on later. But we're about to come upon the most you know, critical aspect of being able to truly and effectively share the gospel and make disciples. So those excuses like there's too many people, it's overwhelming, life is too fast and complicated, I don't know what to do, separation from the world, the credibility issue, those are things that we'll address. But those are inconsequential until we see what the foremost step is in being effective and being able to share the gospel and make disciples. So once again, what do I mean exactly by water the grass? What I mean is we can't share the news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus until we ourselves, our lives manifest the good news. If people can't see the good news in us, we can't share it effectively. We have to look at ourselves first. It reminds me of the teaching of Jesus as far as judgment, right? We've got to make sure that we remove the law from our own eyes before we could ever help anybody remove a speck in their eyes. So it takes me back to Luke chapter 10. If you want to put your eyes on it, that's perfectly fine. In this particular situation, remember the lawyer asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him back to the law. What does the law say? And the lawyer correctly answers. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We have to live the gospel out in our lives. If we don't do this, any of those models or methods of evangelism will be no good. People need to see the grace of God and transformation in our lives. It reminds me of the story of the former atheist and investigative journalist from the Chicago Tribune, Lee Strobel. After his conversion in a time... His daughter went to Sunday school and told the Sunday school teacher, whatever it is that changed my father, that's what I want. That's what people have got to see. When we have genuinely given our lives over to Christ, we recognize what has been done to us, the love of God, his mercy and grace and extending that to us, and we repent and we change that manifestation of that love and that grace that will be seen for everybody. And people have got to see it. If we're going to be effective sharing the gospel and making disciples, people have to see the grace of God in ourselves. Now, secondly, we must be able to manifest the love of God. People have to see the love of God in the way that we live, the way that we treat others. So, of course, in the way that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. So John 3, 16, yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
But when we really grasp that, really grasp that, then it affects the way that we show love to other people. And we think about the way that even Jesus teaches us to love. Think about some of the difficult teachings that Jesus gives in regard to love, that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Our love does not look like the world. And when we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, we do not look and act and behave and speak like the world. People need to see that, right? They need to see us being transformed by this grace of God and the understanding of the manifestation of love in the way that we speak and that we act. Only then can we be effective in sharing the gospel and making disciples of other people. Thanks we come back to a time, this country, when there was deep divide. 1964, right, during the civil rights movement. A lot of people divided over those issues. And a young artist, Sam Cooke, decided that he would do a live recording of This Little Light of Mine in the Copacabana nightclub in New York City. And so I take you back to that and think of these words, light and love and neighbor. Think about why he chose a children's song with religious connotations. This is powerful stuff. Because though we might be divided over these issues, there is a higher calling. And no matter the color of your skin, that higher calling is more authoritative than any of these issues that we may be rabbling with here upon this earth. So he began his live recording with amen, and he repeated it several times. He can sing much better than I can, so I will not do that. He said, let me tell you something, children, reminding them that this was a children's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And he repeated it several times. But then he said, let it shine, let it shine to show my love. Broke up the stanzas with, I'm going to tell you that. Everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. And he came back to the same thing. Let it shine, let it shine to show my love. Broke up the next stanza. I'm going to tell you that. Even in my home, I'm going to let it shine. And y'all know, sometimes we'll go out to the world and we'll treat those people better than we will the ones at home. But at home, we've got to let it shine. And why? In order to show our love. And then finally, i got to tell you that. When I see my neighbor coming, I'm going to let it shine. I think I see my neighbor coming. I better let it shine. When I see my neighbor coming, I'm going to let it shine. I let it shine. Why? To show my love. And it harkens me to other things that we would think about in persistence of this, like MLK saying, hate cannot cast out hate. Only love can do that. And where there is light, there is no darkness. Or Paul writing to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome but evil, but overcome evil with good. These are things that are manifested in those that are true disciples of Jesus Christ that have been transformed by the grace of God. And when we leave, live these things out, people can see it. And we can effectively share the good news then. Because we have something that they want. They see that we are fulfilled in Christ. And them being empty in the world, which cannot fill, they want to be filled. But why would they listen to someone who is not filled? That is why we have to see the pasture that we are in and recognize that it is through God we, that we can water that grass. That we can be filled. We have everything that we need. But where is our perspective? And are we living as those that have been transformed? Are we living as those that are manifesting the love of God? If not, I don't care what mode of evangelism you got, it ain't going to be effective. We have to get first things first. So think, why a children's song? Think about the teaching of Jesus. 
Unless we become like children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Children don't show partiality. They're like God in that. Right? They don't look out and show that type of favoritism. I've been the blessing of being around young children and even in the kindergarten classroom. It's such a beautiful thing to see the little white girl go over there and patting the black boy's head because she's never seen hair like that before. Right? And vice versa. It's just children being children. It's beautiful. And it's amazing that we too can be like that, but we have to really work at it. We have to grow, you know, spiritually and become mature spiritually in order to return to what children are able to do naturally. But we can do it. And we have to if we're going to be effective at sharing the gospel and making disciples of others. And so as I come to this last part, that's the final point. We must make a commitment to conforming ourselves to the image of God's Son. If we can't go out and live and be like Jesus Christ, we cannot expect that we're going to be effective in sharing the gospel and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that he's the only one that can save. There is but one God and one way, and it has been revealed to us, and Mike is showing us, it's an easy way. There's nothing that can't be clearly seen there. That's not the difficult part. This is the challenging part, to live the way that we're supposed to live so that we can be effective at sharing the gospel and making disciples. So in conclusion, if there be any among us this morning who wants to put off the garment of filth and is ready to be cleansed by the only one that can cleanse, our Jesus Christ, and is be ready to be baptized, to be buried in that watery grave so they can rise to walk in newness of life, having been forgiven of their sins. Please come as we stand and sing.